Welcome back to part two of the amazing story of Yudbe's Tamas. As we said earlier, in the year Tofresh Ayin Zion, the Bolsheviks took over Tsarist Russia. The way it was is that in the beginning, Russia was ruled by the Tsar. The Tsar was like the king and he owned most of the land of Russia and he was in charge of a lot of the money and a lot of the crops and the fields. He also owned the army and was in charge of them. But after many years, a lot of the simple peasants and hard-working people were very upset because they were working really hard but they weren't making too much money because a lot of it had to go to the government because the Tsar owned their work and their fields. And they weren't happy about that. So there were many riots throughout Russia with people making fights and trying to fight the government and go against them in order to push the Tsar off of the throne and take over the government and make new rules which will make that all the citizens of the country will be happy. This is where the Bolsheviks came in. They were the ones who were leading many of the riots and they were the ones who decided that they have a new system and a new way that they could rule the country in a way that will make everybody happy. And this is called communism. Communism is when everything is equal. When the rich people have to give some of their money to the poor people and this way everybody will have equal amount of money and equal amount of land and this way everybody, even those that work really hard and don't earn so much money, they also could get more money than they deserve and they could live comfortably just like everybody else. Everybody thought that that would be exciting and happy and this will make everybody allow them to be able to live comfortably. But it didn't take long after the Bolsheviks took over the government for people to realize that it's not really so good for everybody. And one of the main things that they did not allow because of the communism, is that they did not allow any religion, especially the Jewish religion. Because when someone practices their religion and believes in Hashem and does certain mitzvahs and Torah and learn Torah, so then they become separate and different from other people. They become higher and more special because they have certain things that they do and a certain way they dress. And communism is all about making everybody equal and the same. So part of the rules that the Bolsheviks and the communist government put into place is that no one is allowed to follow religion. So there were two sets of rules from the government. The general government of the entire Russia, they had a certain set of rules that everybody had to follow, which wasn't really happy with religion, but they weren't too strict either. But then, in every city throughout Russia, there was the local government. And the general government gave permission to the local government that they could make any rules that they want and they could asser, they could forbid that anybody should do whatever they want as long as it goes against communism. So the lo local government could make their own rules and be even more strict than the general government and forbid different things. 
And the Yevsexia, the Jewish people that unfortunately left the Derech and joined communism, they were really, really strict and they made really severe rules that forbade people from following Yiddishkeit. Not only were they not allowed to teach Torah, they weren't even allowed to do the basic things of Yiddishkeit. The local government and the Yevsekzia did not tolerate that any Chedorim should exist. And not only are you not allowed to have an official school with a teacher teaching many students, even for someone to teach his own children privately or to hire someone to teach just his couple of kids, even that they did not allow. And any Melamed that was caught doing this illegal act of teaching Taira was reported to the general government, the national government, and they lied. They falsely accused them of going against the entire government of Russia. And therefore, they were punished really, really strict. First of all, as soon as someone was caught, they were brought immediately to the police station and they were interrogated. And interrogation was not a fun thing to be done. They were put through so many questions that they had to answer and it was a lot worse than just simply annoying. The police wanted to get out of the person being interrogated some hidden information that the government doesn't know. They wanted to know about other Hasidim, where they were, where they lived, what they did, and hopefully be able to catch even more people. So when someone was interrogated, they had to be very, very careful what to say and how to say it and how to make as if you're saying the truth if they would not say the truth. You want to sound honest that this way they won't be suspected of hiding the truth. And it was not a comfortable thing to be going through. And after the interrogation, if someone was caught teaching, he was put into the streets in public and they had to do really embarrassing work, like picking up the garbage, the smelly garbage, or doing other embarrassing things in front of everybody. And the Russians would scream to everybody, this is what's going to happen to anybody that's not going to help build the glorious future of communism. This got everybody that saw it, it got them to be really terrified and really scared. And anybody that might have considered to be a teacher, when they would see that, they would back off because they were so scared. And furthermore, the communist threatened that anybody that's going to go against the government and continue going against the government, they're going to get even worse punishments. Either they're going to go into prison, which was also very, very uncomfortable thing for a long time, or they would have to be sent away to Siberia or to a faraway place in exile for many years and be away from their family, and they would have to work so hard and do back-breaking work, and many, many people died in exile. And this is the threats that they had to anybody that would go against communism and go against the government, and anybody that would teach Taira, whether it was in a school 
or even in private. The embarrassment that many people went through and the threat of being punished even more severely caused that many Jewish parents did not send their Jewish children, the Yiddish Kindlach, to go learn in Cheder anymore. Even though there still were a couple more Melamdim which were very, very brave to teach, nevertheless, the parents were scared. At this point, if nothing would have been done, so then Yiddishkeit in Russia would be finished, destroyed, annihilated. Because all the Chedarim around Russia were closed. There was one person that was really, really disturbed by this and could not allow this to continue. And this is, you guessed, the Friedrich Rebbe. In the year Tafresh Pei Gimel, three years after the Rebbe Rasha passed away, he gathered hundreds of Jewish men to join him, to join the forces. Through these hundreds of Melamdim, this gave the opportunity to thousands of Yiddish Kindlach throughout the Soviet Union to be able to learn and to grow up with a proper Yiddish Chinuch. And everything was done in total secrecy, despite the fact that it was really risky. But this brave team of hundreds of Melamdim that were gathered by the Fidik Rebbe were willing to take the risk and do whatever it takes in order to make sure that Yiddishkeit in Russia will survive. Everything was done in secrecy, underground, and the Friedrich Rebbe had to raise a lot of money in order to support these hundreds of Melamdim. Because if they're going to spend many, many hours teaching Torah, and many, many other hours preparing the shiurim that they give over, when are they going to have a time to make parnasa? They can't go to the store and to make money like that. They're busy being a malamit. And the Russian parents didn't have money to pay the teachers. So the Friedrich Rebbe took the responsibility of fundraising and getting money to pay these hundreds of malamdim. The Friedrich Rebbe used to travel to many different big cities throughout Russia in order to encourage even more Chedarim to open up. In the year Tafresh Pei Dalid, he went on a journey to the city of Leningrad, on one of the many journeys that he went there to make sure that more Chedarim would open up. When he finished his journey and was ready to come back to Rostov, he got word from his secretary, his mazkir, Rebel Khanandov Marazov, that it might be dangerous if he goes back to Rostov because there were agents from the GPU, which is the secret police belonging to the Russian government, the communist government, and they had many spies and would go around making sure that people would keep the rules. And Rebel Khanan Daiv Marazov told the Friedrich Rebbe that there were some agents of the GPU that were waiting for the Friedrich Rebbe to come home, to come back to Rostov, and they wanted to arrest him. Why did they want to arrest the Friedrich Rebbe? Because they suspected that the Labavitch Rebbe is the one that was responsible for the fact that 
the Jewish people throughout Russia were still practicing religion. They didn't know for sure. They only suspected. But when they suspected something, they called it information. We know. They didn't really know. But that's what they said. So the Friedrich Rebbe decided that he's not going to go back to Rostov right away. He's going to delay his return for a few more weeks. And this gave enough time for the Chasheva people of the Yiddish community in Rostov to be able to make some kinds of arrangements and work and intervene on the Friedrich Rebbe's behalf that maybe they will not be able to arrest him. Maybe they could be nicer and reconsider. Eventually, the Friedrich Rebbe came back to Rostov, and despite all the arrangements which were made on his behalf, an hour after he got home, the GPU were at his door. They came to question the Friedrich Rebbe, and they wanted to arrest him. This led to a whole discussion and a whole back and forth with negotiations, and at the end of the long conversation, they said, you know what? For the time being, we're not going to arrest you. We're going to push it off. And for the next six weeks, there was many negotiations back and forth, back and forth, whether or not to arrest the Friedrich Rebbe. And they came to an agreement at the end of the six weeks that they said, you know what? We're not going to arrest you on the following condition. As long as as you leave your home in Rostov and you move somewhere else immediately. After much thought, the Friedrich Rebbe decided that he's going to move to Leningrad. And that was also a big city. And that was a place where the Friedrich Rebbe felt he would be able to continue his activities properly. But he knew that when he's going to be in Leningrad, he's going to be under the watchful eye of the powerful local GPU, and they were terrible anti-Semites. Although they didn't harass the Friedrich Rebbe, he nevertheless knew that he was under very strict surveillance. It's as if there was a camera right in front of him and he was being watched. Every single move that he made was closely watched by the local agents. This didn't stop the Friedrich Rebbe from continuing his work. It just made that he'll have to do the work even more carefully. So the Friedrich Rebbe continued adding people to the team, getting more teachers, brave people to join and to teach people secretly. But now the Friedrich Rebbe had to be extra careful that anybody that wants to join the team of brave teachers would first have to be carefully screened and it would take some time for the Friedrich Rebbe to build a trust in this person and be able to rely on him that he's going to keep everything that's being done totally secret. This way, the Friedrich Rebbe was able to continue growing the network of Chadarim and Shiurim throughout Russia and he was confident, with no fear, that any one of his helpers would end up betraying him 
and become a traitor and end up going to the government and letting them know that it's the Friedrich Rebbe that's the one who's in charge of all of this. The Friedrich Rebbe didn't have to be scared that anybody would betray him because they were first very carefully monitored before they were allowed to join the team of teachers. The Shluchim traveled to far-off places and went to encourage and uplift all the broken hearts of the Jewish people wherever they were. They inspired many people to learn Ein Yaakov between Mincha and Meirif. And they showed them that it's okay to do this in Soviet Russia. You don't even have to hide. You could do it openly. Because the general government allowed them to do that. This was able to, this helped people to realize that a Yiddish Chinuch is really important and possible. And it encouraged them to send their young Jewish children to the secret Chedarim, which opened up all over the place. And it also encouraged them to continue keeping Kashrus and also to do Bris Mila, which they were scared to do before. The Yevsevksia, they sus- suspected that all these teachers that would show up in all these different places throughout Russia were sent by the Friedrich Rebbe. And they were angry. They were furious. And they took all of these brave men and they sent them to exile to icy Siberia and they were never heard of again. The very brave soldiers of the Friedrich Rebbe did not spill the beans. Even when they were asked and pressured and threatened to get a very strict punishment, they denied any connection to the Friedrich Rebbe. They said, I don't even know who he is. They said, we're doing this on our own. I want to keep Yiddishkeit and I want to encourage other people. I'm not part of an organization or a group. And as the time went on, more and more shluchim of the Rebbe were sent to Siberia and new Hasidim had to go and take their place to continue what the original Hasidim were doing until they were caught. Meanwhile, back in Leningrad, the atmosphere around the Friedrich Rebbe was very tense. Everybody was able to realize and feel in the air that the Friedrich Rebbe was in pain. He was sad for every single Malamid that was vanished into the thin air and was never heard of again. It caused a lot of Agmas Nefesh to him. In the year of Tafresh Peizayin and Rosh Hashanah, when the Friedrich Rebbe read the Psukim before blowing the Shafer, he cried out, Oi, Gewalt! Everyone that was around and that heard those words were deeply affected. They realized that the situation was not so good. It was a dangerous situation that the Chassidim found themselves in. And the fate of many Chassidim who disappeared was very much dependent on the Friedrich Rebbe. Three weeks later, on Simchas Taira, the Friedrich Rebbe requested that everybody should say the Yom Tehillim together and this would help the situation. Despite the fact 
that it was very dangerous, and every day the danger grew more and more, the Friedrich Rebbe continued with his work, and he did it very, very carefully and very, very secretly. He was careful that he would not mention anything that he was doing about opening up Chedarim in public or at any Farbrengen. Because when he was Farbrengen in his house, his home was open to everybody. All the Hasidim would come to his house. And a lot of times, or in fact every time, members of the Yevsexia came and they entered in the house together with the Hasidim. They were spies. And they were able to understand Yiddish. And they came to every single Farbrengen. And therefore, the Friedrich Rebbe could not mention what he was doing in public at a Farbrengen. He kept it a secret.